Hello, dreamers of all ages, and welcome to the Disney Adults Podcast, the podcast where we chat all things Disney like real adults. Let's meet our ghost hosts. I'm Mint. And I'm Mabel. And we start each episode with a weird Disney fact. So, Mint. I go first. I remember that I go first. (laughs) I'm definitely not Googling one right now because I literally forgot about it until I was reading the podcast intro. So I'll just, I'll talk really slowly on this. Okay. So this is is actually like a fact for you. Okay. The Little Mermaid was the first Disney movie to be released to home video immediately after its theatrical release. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is, like, weird to think about because you, I don't know, I guess I just assumed that in the 90s, like, you would want to make money off VHS and you would just, like, release it as soon as it was done in theaters. But what was common at the time was that you wouldn't release it for like five to six years and then you would re-release it in theaters like three to four years later and then once that second run was done then you'd release it on VHS. Huh. And so like this was like one of the first movies to ever do this and it was actually like considered a huge gamble because it just it wasn't what was done at the time and Obviously, like, it turned out to be a huge success. It was the top-selling VHS of that year. Um, it was wildly popular. Everybody bought it. And that the, this basically created, like, the VHS movie release cycle that we all just grew up with in the 90s, where things were right. released in theaters and then released on VHS. But, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting because I had, like, no idea that, like, there was, like, this five to six year like wait usually between when movies came out that's crazy to think about yeah i was Uh, i just can't envision a world where you didn't almost immediately get to go watch it somewhere else once it was done you know right especially like before streaming i remember like knowing when certain movies were going to come out like buy them and like it being like a big deal yes absolutely I was also, like, cracking up when I was reading this Wikipedia article because it talked about, like, different editions of, like, the VHS, and one of them it mentioned was, like, my edition specifically, where it had, like, Jodie <laughs> Benson singing, like, it was, she's, like, on this, like, beach, and she's singing Part of Your World. Yes, and you talked about it, this all yeah, the time, and I've never seen it. Yeah, but, like, I... Like, I kind of didn't love the movie, but I was, like, really infatuated with this music video. So I'd be, like, rewinding the tape or, like, fast-forwarding the tape to get to this music video. So you're saying you had bad taste in movies? (laughs) I am saying (laughs) that, and justifiably so, that Ursula's really scary. Okay, fair. That's why I didn't, like, and still don't love Snow White because I was terrified of it. Yeah. And... what were you to say? Um, Brave Little Toaster. I hated Brave Little Toaster. Yeah. Not Disney, I know, but animated movies that terrified me as a child. Brave Little Toaster. I was afraid to vacuum until I was like 12. The final scene in The Little Mermaid, not like the final scene, but like where, oh, like, where she like, gets her. Like, really big. Yeah, and, and then she... gets impaled by a ship. Yeah, I hate it. And they try not to be too graphic because it's Disney, but she just got impaled by a giant spike 
yeah. she was essentially killed in a vampire fashion. <laughs> yep. So yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, Disney. Yep. Speaking of Snow White, uh, to sell the idea of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Walt performed it as a one-man show. That's my weird fact. He knew that it would be difficult to sell the idea to his team, so he gathered them all together and acted out the entire movie, mimicking the physical stature, characteristics, and voice of each of the characters, and hooked them all on the idea. I am so upset that, like... No one recorded this? Yes! Like, (laughs) oh my gosh! This will unfortunately only ever be told in story. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, that's really cool, isn't it? That is really cool. It's so, like, thinking about Snow White so crazy, like, when you remember how, like, nothing like Snow White had been done before, and, like, it was so expensive for the time, and, like, everyone was like, you you literally can't make a movie like this. Like, you physically cannot. No, and, and then it won an Oscar, didn't it? Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so... It's so wild to think about. It is. It's really neat. And I hate it because it terrifies me. (laughs) I don't hate it, but it definitely isn't my favorite. It just didn't capture my imagination as a kid. It scared my imagination and made me afraid to eat apples. (laughs) My God. And then I was surrounded by doctors every day because I had nothing to keep them away. Speaking of terrible puns, we saw Jungle Cruise this weekend, and it was really oh, good. Oh, it's really good? I've heard it's, it's really, really good. good. Um, like, Jackie's disclo- gone to see it twice. Yeah. Like, full disclosure, like, we would have, like, gone to see this anyways because, right. like, we love the ride. But, like, I was expecting it to be love that bad. Ride. Like, I was... really bad. But the rock's in it, so no matter what, yeah. some part of it's going to be good. And Emily Blunt's in it, so some part of it's going to be good. Yeah, like, you just get the sense that, like, everyone on this movie was just, like, having a lot of fun. Like That's good. Yeah. Like, everyone just really seemed to be enjoying themselves, you know? And since we're getting on non-Disney tangents, apparently Suicide Squad is also very good, and huh. DC is succeeding by just hiring Marvel directors. It seems to I... be going well for them literally haven't seen any dc movies since we all went and saw the first wonder woman movie which was like, very good and you know i was, love yeah i love harley quinn so i was disappointed by the first suicide squad movie because they did not do her justice and we're going on tangents in an episode that's already going to be extremely long we're we're great so... at this we're real good at this i'm going to introduce our topic so we can stop okay. this off okay. <laughs> So this week, our topic is rankings. Mint will be ranking her five favorite lands, and I will be ranking, or three, depending on how our time goes. But hopefully we can squeeze it all in, because if I don't get to do my entire list, I will be severely disappointed. Um, And I am doing my five or three favorite rides. So without further ado, Mint, what is your fifth favorite land? So, I didn't actually rank these because I couldn't. Because okay. fair. Um, fair. Like, I love all these lands. And, like, if I was in this land and you were like, what's your favorite land? I'd be like, this land, because I'm here right now. I'm in Disney World. And um, 
Do it. So, so I built this into mine. Would you like me to try to guess which lands you did? Yes. And I will say the one that I'm starting with is my least favorite. Obviously, I still love it, but it is like the lowest on the list. Okay. But yeah. So, so guess. Yeah. I know one of them. I think I know one of them. Um, what do you? Th- so I'm going to say Galaxy's Edge. Uh, yep. Tomorrowland. Nope. No. Fantasyland. Nope. Oh, Future World. Nope. Or like the the and World Showcase. I so, have a place in World Showcase. Okay, so I didn't. I I have a theory. Is it Tokyo? No. Or Japan? You know. Oh, really? I thought you've loved it there. That's my favorite in the World Showcase. Is is Japan? Um, I really thought that some of those were going to be on there. I thought that you would have more Epcot on there. Uh uh-uh. uh we are going to do Adventureland number five. Okay, Adventureland's fantastic. Yeah, Jungle yeah. Cruise is in there. Yeah, yeah. And then all of the rest, well, and then in the middle, we're going to have the Land Pavilion in Epcot, Morocco and World Showcase. I love the Land Pavilion. Yes, yes. And number two is Galaxy's Edge. And I, I'm just curious if you know what my number one is now that I've listed everything else. It's kind of it's kind of out of left field. Um, um, I'll give you a hint. Because it's a land that I like because I'm a photography nerd. Ooh, photography. Um, and it really it is like it make, Animal Kingdom. Yes, and it makes you like. Is it Asia? No, it makes oh. you struggle at night. Oh, Pandora. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so two of your things also make an appearance on my list nice so one of them is in honorable mentions but you oh know. my god you did honorable mentions too because i'm an indecisive person and i could not narrow down my list <sighs> jesus mabel that takes me like three seconds <laughs> okay it's the okay rest of the list that's the issue <laughs> okay i thought we were gonna do like a full write-up on your honorable oh no no no. Like, no we're gonna be recording till midnight no uh my honorable mentions is me yelling at them for not making my list Nice. There's one sentence to go with all, like, five things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So now, ten minutes later, we're actually starting on our <laughs> first one. <laughs> so coming in at number five for me is Adventureland. Um, I, I feel like of all of the lands in Magic Kingdom, this is the one that feels like it's most touched by Walt and also the most untouched by time. Um. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of the attractions were built or conceived while Walt was alive, and they were implemented in Disneyland and then brought over for Walt Disney World's opening. Um, so I think that was like Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean. Love um, that ride. I don't. Is Enchanted Tiki Room in Disneyland? I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I know it was like an opening day attraction. I'm pretty sure it is because I think Queenie and I wrote it. Yeah, and then you also have the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, which is also an opening day attraction at Walt Disney World. Um, so, like, really, kind of like all of the main stars of Adventureland were really kind of like Walt originals, which I think is really cool. And uh, this is also kind of a land that really hasn't been updated. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to like get like really political or like into a discourse, but. I do think it's interesting 
that we haven't updated Adventureland at all. And it wasn't really something that I thought about a lot until I was yeah. like reading about this. And then the sociologist in me was like, hmm. So, I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to get into a whole discourse because that's not the point of this. But They've updated just... Pirates of the Caribbean a little bit. And there yeah. are some, so I mentioned this in mind, but there are some changes coming to Jungle Cruise. Mm-hmm. They are about yeah. to close that for a little bit, take out some of the problematic stuff, and then reopen yeah. it. Uh, oh my gosh, the way they handled Trader Sam in the Jungle Cruise movie was so good. I loved it. Yeah. Like, it was really cool. I still um, want to eat or drink at the Trader Sam's bar because apparently, yes. depending on what you order, different things happen. So there, if you order, I think it's something with quicksand in the name, your bar stool will sink. Huh. I've heard that like there's like lights and stuff that like you order certain things and like yes. li- like a little like light show happens. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um so that actually like ties into my last point so I'll just bring it up now. The Polynesian Resort was specifically designed to complement Adventureland from where it's positioned on the lagoon so that it looks directly into Adventureland. Obviously it's stylized after it. Um And this is really interesting because the Grand Floridian is meant to complement Main Street USA and the Contemporary is meant to complement Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. That's so cool. Yeah. So the three flagship resorts that like you can walk to to Walt Disney World are all tied to a specific land. I never thought about that, but that makes so much sense. And that is so cool. Yeah. Now we need a Fantasyland one. Yes. (laughs) But it needs to be role playing like the upcoming Star Wars resort. Oh my gosh, can we have a whole segment where I just, like, talk about my feelings about that? Because I have a lot of feelings about it. Is it all good feelings? Because right now I just have all good feelings, except for the oh, fact that I don't want I to have, that much. Yeah, I have all bad feelings about it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But it sounds so cool. <laughs> so we'll even each other out. Okay. Yeah. I just don't want to pay that much. Yeah. But I want to pretend to be on a starship for a weekend. Yeah. That's other than that, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to thwack a cast member with my lightsaber. Just kidding. Don't do that. Treat them nicely. They're wonderful. And they don't get paid <laughs> enough. No, not at all. They're like college <laughs> kids making minimum wage. Be nice to them. Yeah. Hey, if things work out, we may even get to interview one. Yeah. Which would be awesome. All right. All right. Back to Adventureland. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Just to plug, Lou Mangello's audio tour on Spotify is a great listen. He does an audio tour for all of the lands in Magic Kingdom. And it's just, it's really cool. He, like, talks a lot about, like, the theming and the art direction of each land. And he, like, knows so much. So look him up on Spotify, Lou Mangello. Uh, It's the audio tour to Walt Disney World. A great, great listen. Uh, Most of my... Most of my facts are from that audio <laughs> tour that I was listening to 30 minutes ago. Nice. Nice. So I was setting guess... up puppy pee 30 minutes ago. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so to get to Adventureland in Magic Kingdom in Orlando, you take the bridge and it's found just beyond the Crystal Palace restaurant. Uh, the bridge between Main Street USA and Adventureland is both a medico- metaphorical and visual bridge that kind of sets the tone for the land that's coming up. Um, oh, cool. As you pass onto this bridge, the bright pastels of Main Street USA fade out into deeper, more rich tropical colors. 
the music also changes here and you can begin to hear the drums like they're like tribal like caribbean drums and then the ragtime music from main street usa fades out the neat gardens that surround the pal the crystal palace restaurant become more wild and overgrown as if you are leaving behind stately victorian gardens for something wild and unexplored Adventureland is themed to resemble the remote jungles in Africa, Asia, South America, the South Pacific, and the Caribbean. Um, it provides a 1950s view of exotic adventure, capitalizing on the post-war tiki craze. I think that, in general, this is more meant to represent like a state of mind than an actual place. Obviously, there's a lot of like transcontinental inspiration going on here and I was as I was like reading this on Wikipedia like it was something I never thought about but I was like so basically what they're saying here is they're going for everything <laughs> that is not Exotic. North American and not Western right like European so right. like all of that um which could also basically just be read as like non-white um, <laughs> colonization yeah like you <laughs> I said we weren't going to go into a discussion, but, like... You said you weren't going to get political. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I made no such promise. Looking at this from a modern eye, but like, yeah. it's it's hard not to be like, okay. Like, yeah. this is basically just, like, a colonial view of the rest of the world, so to speak. Um, right. When I was reading the Wikipedia article, they mentioned, like, the sense of other in quotation marks. And basically this meant, again, like anything non-white, like anything that's, quote, exotic to like yeah. a white Western mindset, which is really... Right. I'm going to say it's interesting. And this is one of those things where if you're going to go to Disney World, I think there's a lot of things you just have to treat as it it was built as it was seen in the time. Like, this was... Right. You know, like it said, this was like the post-war tiki craze. Like, especially if you want to frame it a little bit more positively, it could just be places you could go on an adventure, right? Maybe, and, but that's not, you know. Yeah, I definitely think if I want to turn this into a more like sympathetic, appealing thing, like I said, it is more of a state of mind than an actual place. Right. Um, there's obviously just a lot crammed in here, and I also think. You know, it's very easy to say, like, all of this as, you know, an adult. Like, if you're a kid and right. you're going into this, like, this is what you think of. Like, when you think of, I'm going on an exotic adventure somewhere. Like, you don't have, like, these yeah. defined ideas about what's colonization, you know? Right. And, like, what's, you know, if you're a kid, like, what's the difference between, in your head, South, South America and the Caribbean? Like, right. it's all kind of, <laughs> you know, enmeshed in your head. Um, you know, this is one of those places where you go and you're like, huh, I, like, I wonder if this, how would this be built today? Just like, I love the Enchanted Tiki Room. It's my, one of my favorite rides. And every time I'm on it, I'm like, there's no way that, like, anyone would greenlight this today. In my first paragraph, you're going to get mad. <laughs> <laughs> I, like... The, and like it's one of those things like you just go into this and you just have to accept like this is a product of like the 60s I think yeah yeah like and it is like there's a lot of caricatures in it but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but Adventureland 
is just, it's really, all of that aside, it's beautiful. I love it. It's one of my favorite places. And of course, it is home to some extremely iconic things. The Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean, Enchanted Tiki Room, and of course, Dole Whip, our favorite. Like, Dole Whip. (laughs) Honestly, like, if we were realistic and they stripped everything out of Adventureland and left one thing, like, we'd all ask. It would be packed. It would still be packed just to get Dole Whip. Like, if Dole Whip was, like, the one thing that they left, you know. Um, That's how they can improve Adventureland. They just give you a mini Dole Whip on every ride when you get on. Yes. Um, I personally am also a big fan of the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. Uh, This was one of my favorite books growing up. And this is a great way to just spend time in Adventureland. You can walk through this. It's not a ride. It's not an exhibit. It's just, you know, it's their treehouse. Yeah, it's an attraction. And it's so cool. It's like the Tom Sawyer thing. Yeah, there's never a line to, like, do it. And... I just, I really enjoy it. Um, you can get great views of the whole park from, like, the topmost point in it. I highly recommend doing it. And Adventureland, all its problems aside, is really cool, really beautiful. I like it a lot. Nice. That is a good one. All right. So I did top five Disney rides. I felt that in order to have an accurate judgment for this list. I had to limit myself to rides that I have ridden because I can't accurately rate something that I haven't experience, experienced. And I limited myself to rides that are currently still open because otherwise I would have had to treat everyone to a second rant about the great movie ride. Uh, unfortunately, this means that all of the Galaxy's Edge rides are out because uh, I didn't ride them yet. And this means this list will likely change in the future. Uh, I didn't base it on anybody else's preferences like yours. I did mine. Uh, but I co-run a Disney podcast now, so I'm an authority on it, so shut up. <laughs> I took into account ride time, ride complexity slash innovation, breakdown frequency, iconity level, like how classic of a Disney Parks legend is this ride, slash how well-known is it as a Disney ride, average queue wait time, queue coolness, pre-show coolness, and just general ride experience. You have, so- like... A seven-tier rating thing, and I'm just like, I like being here. This place makes me happy. (laughs) I couldn't decide, so I needed some adding factors to make me decide. Uh, Tell me me you made, like, an Excel spreadsheet for this. No, 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 no. no. Well, can you? And can we put it on the blog? I can. I could probably do that, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, when one of the rides you think should be on this list isn't on this list don't at me i have solid reasonings uh no matter how cool a ride is if i have to wait three hours or pay hundreds of dollars to get exclusive access to it it's not a top ride for me that's my really obvious segue into saying flight of passage and frozen didn't make this list and if anybody listens to this podcast i know we people would complain about it It's also limited to actual rides, so not shows or stationary attractions. Sorry, Tiki Room, I love you, but you're gone. <laughs> you're disqualified. So, Mint, would you like to guess which rides are on my list? I th- I know you know two of them. People Mover. No. Really? No. It made honorable mentions, but okay. I, I had to pick rides that I... And so I, this isn't really in there, but like, what would I ride over and over? Okay, also... So I, all of mine are just Disney World. Are yours Disney World and Disneyland? 
Yes, but you only two of them, and you've been are on any are any Disneyland exclusives? No, no okay, Disneyland okay. exclusives. So Haunted Mansion. Wait, nope, just kidding. One Disneyland exclusive. I forgot I included one. Okay, Haunted Mansion. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I said People Mover, Haunted Mansion, um, Pirates of the Caribbean. No. Really? Yeah. It didn't make it. It almost did. It almost did. Mm. Expedition Everest? Yes. Ah! <laughs> okay. So you got Haunted Mansion and Expedition Everest, and then two were wrong, so you got one more guess. I know you know this, though. Now I'm, like, doubting myself. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, because that's really short. No, I actually hate that. It's not worth the ride. Yeah, it's, it's not, not worth the wait. It's no. not the worth the wait, so it, I agree. It wasn't all that fun. Like, there's better things to do in Magic Kingdom. Did I already say Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes. Damn it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something in Star Tours. No. Really? Star Tours didn't make it. All right. Wow. Um, so to start, here are some honorable mentions that are worth looking up on your own, but didn't make it to getting a full breakdown for this list. Pirates of the Caribbean almost took spot number five because I adore it. But if I had to choose only one to ride, I'd choose the ride that took spot number five. Um, the Happy Ride with Baymax from Tokyo Disney, which is only disqualified because I haven't ridden it yet. But oh my God, it's so cute. Seriously, look it up. It's the cutest fucking thing ever. Uh, Flight of Passage. No, seriously, fuck that wait time. It's a great ride. Fuck the wait time. Uh, Peter Pan's Flight. Fuck that wait time, especially for what it is. It's not all that. It's cool, yes, but seriously, a 40-minute average wait time for a very average three-minute dark ride. Honestly, it only got ex considered at all because people go so crazy over it. That's why I typed that out word for word. Uh, Star Wars Rise of the Resistance is an honorable mention because you've said it's amazing. Everybody that's risen it has said it's amazing, but I haven't ridden it yet, and I can't give it a review because of my strict no-spoilers rule for myself. I want to experience it firsthand. Um... Test track, it's fun, but it's not all that fun. Like, it could be better. Living with the land. I fucking well, love this I ride. I talk living about living with the land. I love this ride, but I think it's I'm so the only good. person in the world. I was going to say, no. like, I got like, yelled at for making my last group of friends that went with me ride that ride because they were like, seriously, I was like, but I want to ride it. I love this ride. My husband and I are like the hoot and chief of living with the land. Like, we are living with the land. <laughs> super fans i love it i love looking for the hidden mickeys like how they swirl the hose yeah it's so cute um jungle cruise i adore it but since they're removing some of those problematic elements uh i want to wait to ride it until they put those changes in place and i do love it but i would again pick the other rides first uh star tours which only makes honorable mention because i don't get picked as rebel spy every time just kidding it's great but the other ones are better uh, and Kali River Rapids, which I debated on for a uh. very, very long time between this and the ride that actually took number five, because it's basically just a River Rapids ride. Like, yeah. I know it's always down. Like, it's never it's working. constantly down. Its queue is so cool, though, and it's got a yes. really great story to it. But it was edged out by the complexity and the beauty of the elements on the ride that did take the number five spot. So without further ado, number five, Navi River Journey. I love it. <laughs> so Walt Disney ha or World and Disneyland, they have their own little blurbs describing the rides. So what I'm opening with for each ride is how they describe that ride. 
On this visually stunning and mysterious river, you'll glide through a series of caves and into a bioluminescent rainforest alive with the sights and sounds of exotic plants and creatures on all sides, even overhead. Soon, you'll join the legendary Navi Shaman of Songs, who demonstrates her deep connection to the life force of Pandora and sends positive energy out into the forest through the power of her music. So, yeah. The Shaman is my actual girlfriend. Oh, we will get to it. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> I talk about this, like, very briefly, too. But, yeah. like, oh, my gosh. She's I love amazing. Her. Amazing. Um, but I think even more controversial than not putting Flight of Passage on this list is putting this instead but hear me out it's gorgeous it's absolutely stunning it's peaceful it's serene it's a masterpiece of practical effects and audio animatronics and cgi and it's absolutely deserving of a spot on this list plus you get the experience of the experiences of pandora at half the wait time of flight of passage Uh. like don't get me wrong flight of passage is amazing it really is and i i do recommend writing it but for a 50 minute wait time you can get on this an average like average of 50 minutes and the average of flight of passage including recently is 100 minutes the longest recorded wait time for river journey was only 195 which is not that bad like right when pandora opened right the longest wait, recorded wait time for Flight of Passage is 365 minutes, and it still gets close to that almost every day. That's mm-hmm. more than six hours. Six fucking hours. The park is open for a maximum of 12, and that's only two days a week. Half the, like, the rest of the time, it's open 11 hours. That's more than half the time the park is open. More than half. And it's you probably won't see that high of a wait time, but you're not going to see a short wait time. You'll see see a short wait time for river journey when that park opens if you are at rope drop everybody bolts straight to flight of passage and you yeah. get on lavi river journey and you get an amazing ride yeah it's a seriously cool ride and you might be able to walk right onto it at the beginning but it's beautiful mm-hmm. if, especially if you aren't able to stay until the park gets dark the river journey might be the only way for you to experience the bioluminescent effects that they have in the Pandora and flora and fauna, which is amazing. It's some of Disney's most, if not the most stunning park design to date. And the forced perspective of the floating islands and the plants, it's also alien and realistic. And this ride captures all of it. Yes. The shaman animatronic in the ride also represents Disney's most advanced and most expensive animatronic to date. It is so realistic. I, you won't believe that it's not real. You like, won't believe it. The, the way first, that she moves, it looks yeah. like a live actor. The first time I went on River Journey, like I'd kind of spoiled it for myself. Like I knew the big reveal was the shaman animatronic, and still, like when I came around the bend and I saw her, I still like had a double take, and I was like, "That's a giant cast member." Yeah, like because she's so, and then or like, someone working a puppet. There's no yeah. no way an animatronic should be able to move this smoothly and naturally. But she cost ten million dollars. That's great. I didn't know that's how much she cost. She cost like, ten million dollars. If you haven't, if you've ridden this ride, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't, don't spoil it for yourself. See it for yourself yeah. in person for the first time. 
there's like this when you're going past her like there's this moment where she like makes eye contact with you and like you're like oh like it's so it's like the most like intense moment and like it's it's partially intense because like you know she's an animatronic and then like she like looks in your eyes and you're like is she real yeah it's absolutely amazing and flight of passage is cool but it's all cgi and it's amazing and stunning don't get me wrong but it cgi doesn't have the limits that practical effects do and so seeing what they were able to do in this ride with electronics and props and all of that is just jaw-dropping this ride is amazing it's absolutely stunning and it's so worth it so yeah it took spot number five nice yeah (laughs) i love that like this is also like one of my favorite rides it's a great ride i absolutely love it all right, I think I'm up next with yep. my number four, which is the Land Pavilion in Epcot. Um, <laughs> with I've, the best ride. <laughs> with the best ride in Disney World, <laughs> hands down. Like, um, Not according I, to my rankings, but... <laughs> I love this pavilion because I have talked about how I am always nostalgic for an Epcot that I have never experienced. And I think that in the Land Pavilion, like, you can still experience, like, OG 80s Epcot. Um, Yeah. Some of my favorite parts of the Land Pavilion aren't even, like, actual, like, rides or anything. But I love the mural next to Living with the Land. Yes. Like, it's so... (laughs) I just, I'm obsessed with it. And then, you know how, like, there's the movie theater in the Land? And there's, like, the carpet mural leading to it on the... (laughs) <laughs> I also am obsessed with the carpet mural. Like every time I'm there, I'm just like, like I'm. I live in fear that they're gonna take away that carpet mural, and then I'm gonna be like, beside yeah. myself. <laughs> um, the last time I was there, one of uh one of the children in our boat got to have his magic moment of the day on the living with the land boat, and he got to be our captain, and he got to oh my get gosh. a special hat. And they announced him as our captain and everybody applauded for him. And then he got to start the boat and stop the boat. That's so cool. I know. It was adorable. He was so excited. It was so cute. (laughs) That's awesome. But the Land Pavilion, just like, also because I feel like it's one of like the last places where like Epcot is really centered around edutainment. And I totally sound like an old person saying that like, I love the edutainment like part of Epcot. Um. That's what I remember most from Epcot as a kid, though. Yeah. With all of those edutainment things. Yeah. So the land is dedicated to human interaction with the earth, focusing on agriculture and travel. It explores how humans can both use the land for their benefit and how they can destroy it. The 2.5 million square foot facility features four attractions. Soaring Around the World, Living with the Land, Awesome Planet, and the Behind the Scenes Tour, which is the tour you take like through the back part of living with the land, which I want to do someday really badly. I do too. I never have. Yeah. Uh, When Epcot opened, the land was first sponsored by Kraft. The original entertainment lined up contained Kitchen Cabaret Review and Cabaret is spelled with a K, which I'm pretty sure is like to tie back to Kraft. Uh, Listen to the land and symbiosis. They couldn't call it Kitchen or Kraft Kitchen Cabaret. Yeah. (laughs) They would have gotten in big trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Kitchen Cabaret Review was an opening day attraction at Epcot. It was a 13-minute audio animatronic show that advocated healthy eating and taught guests about the four food groups, 
I didn't do a lot of research on this because eventually I want to do like a whole like deep dive on this defunct ride. I think but, I was on it. Yeah. Um, but I just want to read this little segment that I read from Wikipedia. One of the songs is called Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit. And the Wikipedia write-up starts like this. Night sounds, Latin percussion, and low lighting set the mood for this number as the produce, broccoli, tomatoes, bananas, etc. begin to chant. Veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. The host of the ride, Bonnie Appetit, lowers from the ceiling, singing on an illuminated moon. Like, this ride, this show, sounds like a cluster, and I love it. I... I wish I could have experienced this. Like, it just sounds, like, so great and so 80s. I remember this. And <laughs> I looked it up, and I forgot that that tomato haunted my dream. <laughs> I just... Anyways, I really want to talk about this more at a later date, but I'm just going to, like, now at random times, like, start chanting, veggie, 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 fruit, fruit, fruit. fruit. <laughs> um, Which is funny. I've definitely seen this, and I think what I saw this on was, like, a VHS. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so Sorry. No, you're <laughs> All right. Symbiosis was a cinematic presentation that discussed the positive and negative aspects of the human relationship with the land, and this would eventually be replaced by Psych Circle of Life, an environmental fable which featured characters from The Lion King it had and Simone this... and Pumbaa. Yes. Yeah. And this, uh, the second one, uh, the Lion King one, started airing in 1995, and we definitely saw this in 2012, because I remember, like, seeing this, and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep during it. <laughs> like, I was so tired, and it was so, like, dark and cool, and I was just like, oh my god, I love this. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the Lion King one definitely had a wrong run. And the other opening day main attraction was Listen to the Land. This was the original version of Living with the Land that we know today. I get the impression that these rides were basically the same thing, and they pretty much just updated the name and changed a few show scenes. But in the end, like, it was a dark boat ride where you learned about, like, our right. relationship with, like, agriculture, basically. Um... In 1993, Kraft pulled out of their sponsorship, and Nestle became the new sponsor of the pavilion. Oh, the yeah. New, yeah. Um, with that, Kitchen Cabaret became Food Rocks, and Listen to the Land became Living with the Land, and Symbiosis would become the Lion King movie. Uh, yeah. The entire pavilion would be closed in 2004, when Food Rocks would be demolished to make room for Soarin' Over California, and I will die on this hill. Soarin' Over California is superior to soaring around the world. Don't at me. You know that I'm right. Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> I um, never got to see that one. I've only seen soaring around the world. Soaring over California is so good. Um, soaring over California was obviously originally built for Disney's California Adventure. I saw promos of it on the Disney Channel. Yeah. Uh, in 2009, Nestle pulled out of their sponsorship leaving the land without a sponsor, but Chiquita Banana is the sponsor of Living with the Land. So there is, like, a sponsor, but it's just not for the whole pavilion. You can cut this because it's the stupidest thing, but I can't hear Chiquita Banana without thinking of the stupid Simpsons line. I'm Chiquita Banana, and I'm here to say <laughs> I will eat this Toblerone and I will not pay. 
and it's the dumbest thing. But every time somebody says Chiquita, I just see Homer Simpson in his fruit hat eating a Toblerone. Not nothing related to bananas at all. In addition to being an entertainment venue, the land is also a demonstration, production, and research facility. 43,000 square feet of the pavilion are dedicated to experimental horticultural techniques and hydroponics, irrigation methods, and integrated pest control management. So when you ride living with the land, obviously this is the coolest part and it's where you go through like the back lab area mm-hmm. and you get to see like all of like the technology that like they're working on creating and i know that like they say this like during the ride but like a lot of the food and like fish that they produce there like is served in epcot which i is know just... i think that's so cool i, just, I was I waiting to see that. if you were going to mention this yeah but I, I was going to if you didn't that they do <laughs> use a lot of the food in their restaurants yeah so speaking of restaurants uh the garden grill is a rotating restaurant it's, uh, what do they call it, table service, and it yeah. overlooks the dark ride part of living with the land. This restaurant is so good. It is so delicious. Um, it's yeah. also a character meal, so you meet, I think it's Mickey, Minnie, Chippendale, and I think Pluto. Pluto. You meet Pluto, because we met Pluto, and my, he, my brother cried, so Pluto told him to pull on his tongue, and his tongue came off, and my brother cried harder. <laughs> In the 90s, you definitely, I don't know if that's still yeah. true today, but in the 90s, you 100% met Pluto, because that's where we did our character breakfast. Yeah, I pretty, I think you do meet Pluto still. I know okay. it's definitely Mickey, Minnie, and Chippendale, because those are the ones that I've met. I'm yes. pretty sure I've met Pluto, too. And they're yeah. all in, like, farmer outfits. It's really cute. Aww. Uh, yeah, but, like, uh, the Garden Grill serves my favorite dessert in all of Disney World. Like, their strawberry pound cake at this dessert. It's so good. Like, if you eat here, just, like, just get the dessert. It's amazing. Um, Sun Sunshine Seasons is the food court option. And if you're here for breakfast, they have the I was best vegan breakfast options. Like, yeah. they're so good. Like, Some we great all- grab-and-go and very healthy stuff. Yeah, and, like, really, like, delicious vegan options. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not vegan, but, like, I do usually get the vegan options there, and they're really good. Yeah. And that's my living with the land, uh, <laughs> the land pavilion spiel. <laughs> living with the land pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Live with it. <laughs> All right. For my number four ride, I chose Indiana Jones Adventure from Disneyland, California. And their description is, Embark on a fast-paced thrill ride in search of Indiana Jones. Enter this cursed temple at your own risk. Follow Indy's footsteps into the crumbling temple of the Forbidden Eye, past intricate booby traps, inspect carvings and frescoes that tell the story of Mara, a powerful deity who promises great treasures and vengeance to those foolish enough to gaze into its all-seeing eyes. So much fun. When While this isn't one of the rides you immediately think of when you think of the Disney parks, which is why it isn't slightly higher, like its Disney iconity level is not that high. As of my last visit, to, to Disneyland in 2012 because Galaxy's Edge didn't exist yet and the Matterhorn was closed for renovations, this was one of the most thrilling experiences at Disneyland. It's so much fun to ride. The animatronics, the special effects, and the practical fa- effects make this enhanced motion vehicle dark ride so much fun. It's 
really, really awesome. There are some unique elements to each ride through as your chosen chamber and some of the sayings from the characters are all randomized, so it's slightly different every time. There are glyphs that can be translated using the Disney Play Parks app, which I forgot about doing our first trip tips, but oh my gosh, get it, it's so much fun. Uh, there are translatable runes that you don't need the app for. A descending spike ceiling is propped up by a bamboo pole that's actually made of rubber, and if you push on it, the ceiling will start to drop. There's a Whoa. rope you can pull on that will get an, a response from the archaeologist who's out of sight in a sarcophagus. And there's a ton of Indiana Jones references. Then you get a little pre-show newsreel about the discovery of the temple, why Saul is letting tourists in, and how to safely navigate the temple. And it's actually a really fun uh, pre-show. It's It makes the wait time fly by. Like... You only have to wait 30 minutes, but you will want to spend more time in here. It was so neat. And I won't spoil the ride experience entirely, as it's kind of not important to the reasons why it's thrilling. But I will say, I enjoy that your ride ride experience can be unique even after multiple rides. There are three different routes your car may take. And although after that, the ride continues in the same direction, no matter what, the special effects you get with each route are pretty cool. And the twists, the turns, the drops, the sudden stops, and the direction changes will always catch you by surprise, even if you literally just wrote it and have ridden it a hundred times. And it's just really well planned out. It's a majorly fun and well-executed ride. It's fast load time means you almost never have to wait an inordinately long period of time for it. And it has a single rider line. And I love a single rider line because even if you're with a group, you'll still likely be on the same train car as them and you'll ride really close to one another and it can cut your wait time in half. If the park is packed, take that single rider line. Mm-hmm. And this having it makes it even higher. On the li- like it, it's yeah. more likely that it appeared on this list, but it's seriously just a great ride. Yeah. So yeah, that was my number four. Wait, <laughs> hey, I don't think I've ever ridden that, but it sounds so cool. Oh, it's a great ride. It's so much fun. That's it's, awesome. It's kind of more, it's not really a roller coaster, but it does feel like it. It's yeah. more like it's the enhanced motion vehicle, kind of similar to the Star Tours thing, but it actually does go down a track. Nice. So it's really neat. It's fun. That's so cool. Yeah. I really huh. like that one. <laughs> and it's so like rare that you have like rides that are Disneyland exclusive. Like Disney World yes. is like so exclusive, but like I, yes. I like when there's like Disneyland exclusive rides. Yes. And I love Indiana Jones, so when we got there, I was really excited to ride that one, and it did not let down, so that was nice. Yeah. Coming <laughs> in at my number three spot for my favorite land is Morocco in the World Showcase in Epcot, and I just want to start off this whole thing by saying, rest in peace to the penis chimney. We miss you. Penis chimney? The penis chimney. So, there was <laughs> You can this... see me immediately start to Google it. <laughs> so... There was this chimney that was built into, like, the architecture of Morocco that was unfortunately kind of shaped like a penis. It looked very phallic with the, with the shaft and the, and the balls. Um, obviously, people discovered this, and it became a place to take, like, really, like, stereotypical, like, Instagram influencer pictures, except you're on, like, the backdrop of what's basically a penis. Um, I just so I wish that we could like screenshot like Mabel right now, but she just like looked this up and she like literally covered her mouth. She is because like the title of this article is Is Disney Circumcising Epcot's Moroccan Member? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great title. Oh my so, god. 
<laughs> so anyways, apparently, you know, Disney let Alien Encounter, the most terrifying ride in the world, run for like seven years, but we aren't allowed to have fun with a penis. Right. And so now they took away the penis and now it's just a freaking door. It doesn't look phallic Blame. at all. What's even the point? <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to say that you live in our hearts and our minds forever. Penis chimney. and Ripped penis, penis chimney. <laughs> all that being said, even without penis chimney, Morocco is still my favorite country in a world showcase. Yeah, um, it's a good one. Yeah, I I love Japan, obviously, and like I do kind of make a beeline for Japan. <laughs> but and this is gonna like sound scandalous, but like all like Japan, it's beautiful. It's like it's cool to like walk around for a couple of minutes, but really like the biggest thing Japan has going for it is the store. The store and its restaurants are phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And I do time my I do time it so that my period in Japan is when the Taiko drummers are there. Yeah. Because it's so great. But I think Morocco, it's just, it's beautiful. Um, Morocco yeah. is the only country in the World Showcase Pavilion in which the government was actually involved in the design and the construction of the pavilion. Uh, what normally happens is the tourism board becomes a sponsor, and then Imagineers travel to that country, they take notes, they travel, and then they come back and build the country basically and pretty much like the construction the design it's all in disney's hands um i think it's a pretty common story that a lot of people know that when they reached out to the king of morocco to have morocco in epcot he was so excited that he sent his artisans and like his own designers to florida to work on this and i think that because of that that is why Morocco is the most beautiful yeah. place. It's because it was real. Like they had so much direct influence from Moroccans. Um, more native artisans worked on this pavilion than any other car uh, country in the world showcase. Um, it is full of beauty and detail. When you walk through this pavilion, there are twisting narrow passageways, hidden little spots, hidden fountains, uh, gorgeous plazas and mosaics. More than any other pavilion, you really feel like you are in a Moroccan neighborhood. And I think this is because the way the pavilion is set up, you feel like you're moving into it rather than moving through it. Um, in pretty much every other pavilion, it is set up to kind of control the flow of traffic. Like you start in a shop or in a restaurant and then you move kind of through it linearly Whereas Morocco is set up for you to explore and you move with depth and you can kind of like choose your own adventure in a way. Um, this isn't really something that makes sense unless you've kind of experienced World Showcase. And I'm sure if you've been there, like you kind of know where I'm talking about, where I feel like Morocco is the only country that has like a sense of the depth physically and also just kind of aesthetically. Mm -hmm. It's it's really, really cool. Um, Morocco is kind of the only country that is set up for you to get lost in, both in the spirit of it and kind of intentionally, like, to get lost in these little twisty, turny alleyways. Um, restaurant Marrakesh is the table service restaurant, and it is so good. 
Like I wanted to go there and nobody else in our group did, so we did not make a reservation. The food is so good. And there's also like a belly dancing show, which is like awesome. Like the yeah. belly dancers are always amazing and like it's always super cute because she like invites up like the kids to belly dance with her. It's adorable. Like I love it. It's super fun. Um, Tangerine Cafe is a counter service restaurant and it's so good. Uh, if you can't like get a reservation for restaurant Marrakesh, like definitely check out the counter service options. Um, up until 2012, or up until 2020, Morocco was one of the only pavilions that operated independently from the Disney company in Epcot. The huh. Moroccan embassy and tourism board had run it in its entirety. So food, shops, oh, maintenance, cool. entertainment, everything was actually run through the Moroccan government. Um, obviously, 2020 happened. They had right. to pull, you know... Uh, most of their people out as most of the people working there were Moroccans. They had to come home. Um, so right now Morocco is again under, well, for the first time actually under the discretion of the Walt Disney company. And my personal concern is that this is going to go the way of Norway and five years. We down need the IP. Line, yeah. We're going to have like an Aladdin ride. And <laughs> before you at me, Yes, I know that Aladdin and Jasmine do mean greets in Morocco already, and, like, I'm fine with that. I just, I don't know. I think a, a ride Keep in the Aladdin, heart of the land. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm still bitter about the frozen ride in Norway. Um, we'll <laughs> talk about it good. sometime. <laughs> if you look at the shaman in Navi River Journey and realize what they could have done with animatronics, and then look at the frozen ride, it's shit. It's like it, it could have been yeah. so much more. Yeah, but Morocco is beautiful. I love it. It's like one of my favorite places to hang out in Epcot. It is beautiful. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. And also, funnily enough, uh, Morocco also comes up on my list. Nice. <laughs> okay, so my number three is Expedition Everest, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain from Animal Kingdom in Walt Disney World, Florida. And their description is careen through icy Himalayan peaks on a speeding train while avoiding the clutches of the mythic Yeti, wander into a Tibetan village at the base of Mount Everest and board a train to the top of the world. Beware, some say a legendary snow monster lives deep in the mountain. After a steep ascent, your train picks up speed and races into a into the darkness without a warning a broken and twisted track appears in front of you brace yourself as you plummet backwards into total darkness inside the cavern the mythical tale comes true and you see the shadow of a massive growling beast race to escape the cursed mountain before the yeti claims yet another expedition i love this ride i'm so glad you picked it it is such a good ride Opening in 2006 and costing a whopping $100 million to build. Oh. Yeah. This two minute and 50 second coaster is the highest artificial mountain in the world. A stunning addition to the landscape of the Asia section of the animal kingdom and an absolute blast to ride. It's great. And it's, it's, it was one hell of an undertaking. It actually held the Guinness world record for the most expensive coaster ever built until Universal stole the title with Hagrid's Mag- Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure in 2019. Huh. Yeah. Um, it took 2,000 gallons of paint to create and uses 1,800 tons of steel. 
It's not actually a model of Mount Everest, but instead is a fictional forbidden mountain, which is funny because they use Everest constantly in the phrasing. It, like Even in their description, they say climb Mount Everest, but it's supposed to be a fictional mountain then, uh, guarded by a Yeti and invented by Disney Imagineering. Everest is represented, though, in a replica peak that is on the far right and uses forced perspective to appear further in the distance. Like when they say like the name of the ride, like Expedition Everest, is that like the name of the expedition and not the mountain? So I don't know, but it's, then it says Legend of the For- their full title of this ride is Expedition Everest: Legend of the Forbidden Mountain. But then in the description that Disney World provides, wander into into a Tibetan village at the base of Mount Everest and board a train to the top of the world. Huh. So clearly Everest, like right, it's the tallest mountain. Right. So I don't know. But then they do have a replica of Mount Everest in the background. Maybe they just couldn't replicate it while also implementing the elements of the ride. So they did put it there. But this mountain's different. I don't know. Right. But it's a requirement for me to get on this more than once every time I'm in Animal Kingdom. Because this ride is so much fun and is always a thrill to ride. It's made even better by a really cool queue packed with rich story lore and over 8,000 real artifacts from Nepal. The availability of a single rider line and a paltry 34-minute wait time, average wait time, um, makes this absolutely worth your wait, and maybe even shorter if you opt for single rider, but it's well worth the wait, even if the wait time's longer. It's thrilling, and this is due to the fact that it runs forward and backwards, and it was the first Disney ride to do so. All right, I am going to do spoiler alert for this one, because to get into some of the history and facts about this ride, I did have to go through the ride experience of it. And if you don't want to ruin that, skip ahead a bit. But I want to talk about how well planned out this ride is. It starts as your train departs from the station and heads up the mountain, and you travel through a few small drops and then a village that looks like it was ravaged by some large creature, because even on a thrill ride, Disney has a story. And I Hmm. love that about it. Uh, Your train rounds a curve and heads into a cave where the track suddenly ends where it looks like it was torn apart. The Yeti appears and attacks your train, which then drops backwards and races through a new section of track with more twists and turns and everything and heads back to the station. Smartly, having the trains travel through a new section after dropping means that the ride can have five trains running at once, significantly lowering wait times. If you've never been lucky enough to be in the front row, I got lucky and sat directly in the front row with a random stranger who grew up like 10 miles from me um, after a measly three minute wait in the single rider line. Like we walked up, waited for a train and I got put in the front car. Nice. I, I seriously love the single rider line. <laughs> Let me tell you, your train gets pretty damn close to that missing section of it's track. It's so scary. It is so terrifying. And you know, you're not going to fall off, but it damn sure looks like you're going to yeah. fall off. Um, This ride is meant to scare you a bit, and it definitely succeeds at making your heart race. The backwards drop will get you every time, even if you've ridden it a hundred times before. I ranked it higher than Indiana Jones Adventure, even though I love them both, because as I said at the start, Disney iconity was a factor in my rankings, and there's no denying that while some people confuse or equate this with the Matterhorn, it's a legend among diehard Disney Parks yeah. fan, and Mince yeah. grinning because she knows what I'm about to talk about. The Yeti's doomed A-mode will go down in Disney history. Yep. The Yeti is Disney's largest audio animatronic ever built, and when the ride was installed, he actually moved. He would swing his arm down to attack the train. 
the Yeti, the coaster, and the mountain share no framing or foundations at all, which is good because when the Yeti's motion caused his framing to start splitting soon after operation, it didn't affect any of the other pieces of the coaster structure and mechanisms. And all they had to do was stop the motion. Now he operates in B mode, which uses strobe lights to simulate the effect of motion and has earned him the nickname of Disco Yeti among diehard fans. Disco Yeti! I know. I love the Disco Yeti. Uh, It's rumored that the split happened because an error in the scheduling software of some of the construction didn't allow portions of his concrete base to cure completely before the mountains and coaster were added around him. But this isn't completely confirmed, but that makes sense because this ride was an undertaking and it was planned down to the tiniest detail. So that seems most likely to me because, you know... I don't know. <laughs> I feel yeah, like they wouldn't. No, have... that sounds like right. Yeah. They wouldn't have. It. They wouldn't have not accounted for the, the curing time. Right. But, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it looks unlikely at this time that he will get fixed. At least not anytime soon. Joe Rody, who is largely behind the design and creation of Animal Kingdom, uh, was actually asked about the fixing of the Yeti at D23 in 2013, and he said, "You have to understand." It's a giant, complicated machine sitting on top of, like, a 46-foot-tall tower in the middle of a finished building. So it's really hard to fix, but we are working on it, and we continue to work on it. We have tried several things. None of them quite get to the key turning of the 40-foot tower inside of a finished building, but we are working on it. I will fix the Yeti someday, I swear. So maybe someday the Yeti will get to go ham in A-mode again. But for now, Love he remains that. our beloved Disco Yeti. <laughs> it's I, such a good ride. And he's still really scary. Oh, yeah. Like, and the strobe lights do a good job of making yeah. it look like he moves. Yeah. Every time, like, we, I've said this before, like, every time we go under it, I'm like, he is going to rip my head off. Like, yeah. 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 I, I can't him. imagine riding it when he moves because I never I got know. to. And yeah. I just can't wait for the day when the Yeti gets to go into A mode again and the Disney diehards storm Animal Kingdom. <laughs> Pandora will be empty that day and no one yeah. will know why except yeah. for all of the people there to see the fall of Disco Yeti. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what's your number two? All right. So my number two is Galaxy's Edge. Um, Since this opened relatively recently in 2019 and was obviously closed for a portion of 2020, I'm going to assume that most people haven't been here. So, and also because it's new, like, there's just not a lot of history. Um, Right. So I'm going to talk more about, like, when you go, like, what to do to make your experience, like, the most worthwhile, what to do to get the most out of your time here. I will do, like mostly spoiler-free reviews of both the rides. I will, like, mention a very, very, very small spoiler for Smuggler's Run, but that's it. And, yeah. Uh, Galaxy's Edge is really, really cool. My husband and I were lucky enough to go in January 2020. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right before the world shut down. And it was amazing. Um, like Pandora, World of Avatar, everything here is on theme. Uh, you will not find any generic Disney merchandise. So, like, no Mickey Mouse, no Donald Duck. Um, and all of the Star Wars merch that is sold is oriented to this place and time in the Star Wars universe. Uh, for example, we asked a cast member if they had any Mandalorian merch because Mandalorian Season 1 was out 
We obviously loved it. And the cast member basically said, have you met a Mandalorian? Like, we don't mess with that stuff here. So, like, <laughs> and that was because, like, at the time, all of the Mandalorian merchandise was branded with the name of the show. And they want all they wanted all of the merchandise to look like it could be sold by a street vendor, an antiquities dealer, you know, an underground merchant. Like, everything that they sold there had to look like you could actually buy it. So there was no, you know, Baby Yoda stuff, you know, hanging <laughs> out because you wouldn't find that on Batuu, which is really, really cool. Um, another, like, little funny, like, theming story is Disney actually had, like, a squabble with Lucasfilms. Um, there's this, like, chicken fajita wrap, and it's called a Ronto wrap. And Disney was like, nobody wants to go up and order a Ronto wrap. Like, they just want to say a chicken wrap. Like, let us put chicken wrap on the sign. And I'm a vegetarian, go, and I yeah. want to order a Ronto wrap. Yeah. <laughs> like... and, Disney, and so the original sign said Ronto wrap, and Disney was like, this is ridiculous. Like, nobody wants to, like, go up to a cast member and say, give me one Ronto wrap. And Lucasfilms was like, no. Bullshit! Yeah. And Lucasfilms was like, no. This is the Star Wars universe. There are no chickens. It's a Ronto wrap. And so there was this whole thing where, like, Disney took down the sign that said Ronto wrap, put up chicken wrap, and Lucasfilm said, no. It is a fucking Ronto wrap. Put the sign back up. And they had to. (laughs) But, like, that was, like, the level... Justice for Ronto wrap. (laughs) Yeah, justice, well, but we got it back, so it's fine. (laughs) But, like, this was how, like, invested they were in the integrity of the world that, like, you cannot like order a chicken wrap. Um, I'm sure everyone's seen like on social media, like the Coke bottles that are shaped like little bombs. And like, there was that whole like story yeah. when it first opened about like people trying to take these little bomb Coke bottles home and like, you know, like the airport security people like trying to take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like everything like that is, is like that. Like everything is themed in galaxy's edge and it's so cool. Um, it is home to two ride, uh, Smuggler's Run, also known, like, colloquially as the Millennium Falcon ride, and yeah. Rise of the Resistance. Um, I am, like I said, I'm going to include, like, a very, very small spoiler for a character you see in Smuggler's Run, um, and this will only be meaningful to you if you have watched either Clone Wars or Rebels, so otherwise, like, you'll be fine, but be warned. Um, <laughs> for Smuggler's Run... Do the single rider line. We did this. We waited about 40 minutes in the single rider line, and we still got to ride together. Obviously, like, you're not guaranteed this, but there was a mom and a daughter in front of us, and they got to ride together, too. So, like, I feel like your chances are good that, like, if you're in a pair, like, and obviously, like, you can't ask to ride together. Like, if they split you up, they split you up. But I feel like your chances are still good, and you go through it so much faster. Um... My other smugglers one's a good ride. Like I'm not shitting on it, but if you are not the pilot, this ride <laughs> is not very fun. Like I have like seen like the videos of like people like crying being on this ride, and they're always in the pilot seat. And I feel like your experience as the pilot in this ride is so much more impactful than any of the other like experiences you can get. Like neither my husband nor I were the pilot, and like, the whole time, like, we were doing this ride, I was, like, as someone who loves Star Wars, like, loves Star Wars, like, I was, like, waiting to feel 
to feel something for this ride. And I really thought I was going to because, like, Hondo is, like, the captain of this ride. And I was like, oh, my God, I love Hondo. Like, he's, like, he's one of my favorite characters. And, like, I still, like, I don't know. I just, it's a good ride. It's a lot of fun. Like, do it. But if you can't get a fast pass for it, like, do it in a single rider. Because, like, if I had waited, like, the full, like, six hours to ride this line and, like, and then not gotten a pilot and you're not guaranteed, like, what station you're going to get, like, I would have been really upset to, like, get, like, one of the non-pilot, like, jobs. Um, It's similar to Star Tours in that a random person is picked or is it always going to be the same seat? It's... I think it's always this, so it's, like, it's four people Mm -hmm. in, like, a ship, and then you're, like, assigned based on, like, where you're standing outside, if I remember correctly. Okay. So, I guess if you were in a group of four people, like, you could orchestrate. You could take turns. Right. Yeah. But, like, if you're being paired up with random people, like, you can't really do that, I feel like. Um, You could be real shitty and be like, oh, I've heard if you stand here, you're the pilot, and then take the pilot (laughs) spot. Don't do that. Don't be that person. Yeah. But you could. Again, like, (laughs) I'm not crapping on this ride, but as someone who loves Star Wars, like, it would have been really easy for them to make this ride more emotionally impactful for everybody who rides it. But, you know, a lot of us, Disney's expensive. We can only really go every couple of years. And, like, if your only experience is the less impactful experience, like, it's not going to leave a very good taste in your mouth. Uh, That being said... Rise of the Resistance, it's wonderful, it's amazing. Uh, the obvious thing that sucks about this is the is like the system they have to get a boarding pass. It is awful and terrible. Suck it up and get a boarding pass, anyways. This I won't even like go into this ride like at all. Um, because Thank you, you. Should, <laughs> yeah, uh, you need to go into this ride like spoiler free. Like, do not watch any ride videos. Do not look up the plot. Nothing. Just go in, like, I promise you, going into this ride completely blind is the way to do it. Um, this ride's incredible. Like, it's my number two ride in all of Disney World. It's, it's so good. That ride is why our next Disney trip needs to be together, because I want to ride that ride with you. It's, it's amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> and drink blue milk yes. together. Like, I cheers with blue, blue milk. milk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll get to it um (laughs) there are two paid experiences in galaxy's edge and these are building a lightsaber and building a droid (laughs) my husband did building a lightsaber and i could have gone in as his guest but i was super super tired and i was just like i just want to like sit down and like rest And, you know, I'll do this by myself, like, at a later date. Like, we knew, we know we're going to go back. So I was like, I'm not in a rush to do this. So he did it. He tells me, spoiler free, um, this is an incredible experience. Like, when I was talking about how Smuggler's Run didn't have an emotional impact on me, like, he said, like, building this lightsaber, it was an emotional experience. Like, that there are moments when you are, like, choked up with emotion like oh i'm gonna uh, god i'm gonna fucking cry yeah yeah like Like, i cry when the music starts playing every time i go see a new movie (laughs) um again like he didn't really spoil this for me but he just said like there were there were times in this like where you got chills you were so overcome like with the power of this moment which i think is really cool um i did building a droid 
this is a super fun experience. It is expensive, but it, I think it's worth the money. Um, if you're going to spend the money on this, spring for a backpack so you can like carry your droid around all day. Um, I would also say if you're only doing one day in Hollywood Studios Galaxy's Edge, do this in the morning so you have your droid with you for the rest of the day. One, so you can like battle with other droids. <laughs> and like one of like the okay, so the best thing about having a droid in Galaxy's Edge is when he's turned on and you pass cast members, so like stormtroopers or Chewbacca, your droid will interact with those cast members. Oh so, my like, gosh. So like there were times when we would pass by stormtroopers and my droid he would like shiver and like make like a little scared noise. Or cool. if he, like if we would like pass by like Chewbacca, like he would make like a little chirpy, like hello noise. And this all depends on how you choose the alignment of your droid. I didn't know you could. Yeah. So I. Oh my gosh. I forget what the exact alignment of my droid called, but, but he's like, you know, the rebel droid. So he likes seeing people like Ray and the Chewbacca. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas like if you align them more with like the Empire. Um, it's not called the Empire because it's based. It's set between like episode yeah. seven and eight. You know what I mean. Um, new Order. New Order. So like, if yeah. you align it with the New Order, like your droid will like the stormtroopers. But like, it is so cool to just be like walking around with like your droid in your backpack and just like hear him interacting with the world around you. Um, it's awesome. Like, it is. I... so so cool. I love lands and experiences where the cast members go all out to commit and mm -hmm. everything Star Wars and Disney World, the cast members commit 150%. They are so dedicated to the, the lead, like Star Wars lore, Star Wars facts, Star Wars trivia. They know everything and they are so passionate about it. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not going to like spoil anything, but the cast members in Rise of the Resistance are amazing like they are they are so good and I, I won't give it away but oh my gosh it's so cool um just to wrap up on building a droid absolutely make a reservation to do this we had a reservation and we still waited to do this um it's obviously like this is like the place to be in disney world like everyone is going to be in galaxy's yeah. edge and everyone wants to do these experiences um and just in general Galaxy, the main drawback from Galaxy's Edge is that you are going to wait in line to do anything, to do a ride, to do a paid experience, to get into a bar, to get food. Like, it, it is lines all the time. So just prepare yourself for that. And the best way to kind of get the most out of your time here is to make sure you have time to just sit and enjoy Galaxy's Edge. Um, my favorite memory of all the time we spent there was while my husband was building his lightsaber and I found like this like crate and I just sat on it with my droid and I just people watched and I drank my blue milk and that was the most fun I had because they, they have so many cast members you know as face characters so like we saw um, Rey and Ben Solo and Chewbacca and like so many stormtroopers just like not a couple minutes would go by where you wouldn't see someone and just like watching all of their interactions with people and it was just it really felt immersive like you really got to like suspend disbelief and so just make sure that you have time to just like hang out and just be like wow like vibe I'm, 
yeah just <laughs> vibe with it like it's so <laughs> it's so cool and then I just want to end with like a little story about the first time that we rode like um Rise to the Resistance so to get a boarding pass like you basically have to be at Hollywood Studios at like 7 a.m which means you have to get up at like 5 30 to be there and through bag check so anyway both so of you get... to assume I don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know we get to Hollywood Studios, we get our boarding pass. The boarding pass doesn't come till later in the day. So obviously, like, we go to Galaxy's Edge, we walk around. It's, like, 8 a.m. We've been up for, like, three hours. We're sleep-deprived. Like, we've got, like, sensory, kind of, like, overload, just, like, being in this, like, new Star Wars place. Like, we're really excited. And so my husband's like, do you just want to get, like, some blue milk and hang out? So I was like, sure. And so I go to get the blue milk, and they're like, well, do you want alcohol in it? And I was like... Okay. I didn't know it was alcoholic when I first yeah. heard they were going to have it. Yeah. So you have the option to get it alcoholic. And it was just like one of the most like surreal experiences of my life. Because it's like it's 830 in the morning. Like Chewbacca's walking past me. I'm getting drunk before 10 a.m. And like there's Star Wars characters all around me. And so like I took this picture of like me with my blue milk and I texted it to my parents. And I was like, it's five o'clock somewhere in the galaxy. And like. It's just moments like that that, like, only exist at Disney World. And it's yep. moments like that that I just, I love. Because you couldn't have that anywhere else. I am so looking forward to visiting this because I, I hope I'm not building it up in my own head. But I know, I'm so sure when I get there, I'm going to feel like a kid again. I'm going to be able to lose myself and be like, I am in the Star War. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> It's an incredible place. Like, I I love it there so much. I'm jealous. We just, we ha so everybody has to listen <laughs> to this podcast so we can go. Hashtag and then, get yeah. Mabel to Disneyland. Yeah, Disney get Mabel to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can do Disneyland too. I'm fine with it. Yeah. And they might have shorter lines. Yeah. That is one thing I will say for Disneyland is there actually is an off season. Right. So. When school is in session, the large majority of people that go to Disneyland are season pass holders and people who live in the area. So when right. school's in session, it's like empty. We walked on to almost every ride. And that may have changed in the eight years since I've been there. But we walked on to Pirates of the Caribbean. We walked on to Haunted Mansion. We walked on to Splash Mountain. Like, there were no lines except yeah. on the weekend. Yeah. All right. Oh, my gosh. we had So many tangents tonight. All right. So for my number two, I have, and I cannot believe you didn't get the guess this one. I'm really surprised. The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, Hollywood Studios. Yeah, no, that's on me. I should have. <laughs> I talk about it all the time. You don't know me at all. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, but actually, all of the rides that you guessed were rides that I adore. Um, hurdle up and down aboard a haunted eleva elevator style lift. You are about to enter the Twilight Zone. Next stop, the fifth dimension. Step uneasily inside the infamous Hollywood Tower Hotel and find a dusty lobby frozen in time. Even the subdued hotel staff seems strangely out of another era. Suddenly, a television springs to life and Rod Sterling welcomes you on a journey into the Twilight Zone. He reveals that on a gloomy Halloween night in 1939, some hotel patrons were riding the elevator when a violent storm struck the building and they were never seen again. The hotel closed down and has stood empty ever since. I love this ride. I absolutely love this ride. 
I love creepy spooky things. This is an amazing creepy spooky thing. And it's the first of two complete non-surprises in my rankings. I know that you know my next one. <laughs> because I also talked to you about it for way too long as I was planning this. But uh, yeah, this is fantastically creepy. It's perfectly dark. And it's a tower drop ride. It's always going to scare the shit out of you. It's always going to be scary, no matter how many times you ride it. Especially because you your path, drop time, and number of drops are completely randomized. You never ride the same ride twice, and you never know what's going to happen. So cool. I know. I love it. It never drops you the same amount of times. And even if with a lot of drop tower rides, you can hear that click and go, one, two, three, okay, we drop, you're going to know. So you can uh-huh. kind of prepare yourself. This doesn't do that. You never know when you're going to drop. You hear that click of the mechanism releasing, and sometimes you immediately drop, and sometimes it's just like, oh god, oh god, oh god, it's not going, it's not going, boom. <laughs> um, since it's $140 million construction and opening in 1994, this ride has cemented itself as a Disney icon. The cast members working at this attraction always commit majorly to their roles, which is, like I just said, is a thing I adore. It just adds- like the Haunted Mansion cast members. Oh yeah, they I cover it. Always, Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. They, oh my god, point. I love them. Uh it adds to the otherworldly fifth dimension vibes of the whole experience. Uh one of the most terrifying facts about this is that it was manufactured by Otis Elevator Company. That means most of the elevators that we ride are manufactured by a company who knows how to make them drop out of the fucking sky. This huh. ride had this ride gave me a fear of elevators. No lie. Since I was eight, that is my least favorite thing about cons. I hate going on elevators. I get genuinely terrified. I'm fine if I'm riding with other people. That garage elevator at Katsukan, mm-hmm. I want to cry every time I have to use it. Because it's rickety, it makes a lot of noises, and I always ride it alone. Um, but yeah. <laughs> this ride gave me a fear. Like a real life makes it hard for me to ride elevators fear. Which is I great! I've never ridden this ride because I already have the fear of drop rides. This ride is amazing. It's yeah. it's such a good ride. It has a great story, fantastic atmosphere and pre-show, phenomenal theming, and it introduces new generations to the Twilight Zone. And how is that not a great thing? You drop 130 feet at about 40 miles an hour. You oh, drop Jesus. multiple. That's so scary. <laughs> oh, I know. You drop multiple times at varying heights during your three and a half minute ride. Which is longer than uh, Expedition Everest. Wow. That is. But there also is, so you go up and that takes a little while. And then there's a little, you drop. So you go up in one section and then you travel through, your car travels through a little show kind of thing. uh, And then you drop in a different section. So that way you drop into an unloading area instead of dropping into the loading area, which is actually a huge problem for most drop tower rides and makes loading and unloading times really long because it's just a tower. You drop up and everybody in line has to wait for that one car to go down and then load into that car. No, they can constantly keep cars circling through because you don't drop into the same place that you launch from. That's so smart. They're so smart. Uh, In Walt Disney World, it is the second tallest structure, losing out to Expedition Everest by only six inches. Wow. The tower can actually be seen from the Moroccan Pavilion at Epcot. 
So it's very specifically colored and designed to blend in. And the back of it is actually designed to look like one of the building buildings from the Morocco Pavilion because it can't be seen from the inside of Hollywood Studios. I love that we both talk about Morocco. That makes I me know, really and, happy. And the Land Pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the coolest things about the Tower of Terror is when the front doors open and you have a moment to look out across the park before being dropped. It's such a great view, and if you can pull yourself out of the terror for a few seconds to appreciate it, it's wonderful. Uh, the best thing about t drop tower rides is they're always thrilling. Tower of Terror, especially with the randomization of the drops, it's seriously so fun. It was also the first ride to get a film based on it. You're welcome, Pirates of the Caribbean fans. Uh, it starred Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst. Much of the film was actually shot at Hollywood I Studios. I remember this movie. I I was so excited. This movie came out, I think, like right before I went or around when I, I don't know. But I watched this movie either right before or right after I went to Disney World and loved this ride. Uh, but it was shot at Hollywood Studios. And clearly we need to do a watch of this on our YouTube and see how much of yes. Hollywood Studios we can recognize. To finish this entry off with some thrilling news, Disney is planning a new Tower of Terror movie. Starring Scarlett Johansson. And I'm so excited. I am huh. so excited. She's producing too. And oh, I wow. Just, yeah. I'm so, I mean, so I hope thrilled. so after she sues Disney. Like, yeah, I hope she's. But honestly, like, I, I am on her side in that. They, yeah, she me too. Need any more money, but yeah. they broke their contract. Yeah. That's fair. You signed a contract with them, they did not abide by it, and they need. That's not okay. Yeah. Because if they didn't abide by it for the big star, they didn't do it for everybody else either. Absolutely. Right. 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 Everyone where they knew they could get away with it. And everybody's like, oh, she's suing them. She doesn't need any more money. Yeah, but that opens the door for all of the little right. people to sue them too. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I really hope that she still gets to do this because, oh my God, I want to watch this movie. That so sounds bad. so good. It's like barely incepted and I need to see it. <laughs> so yeah, that's ride number two. Nice. So coming in at my number one favorite place in all of Walt Disney World is Pandora World of Avatar. Which Good choice. I, yeah, I love it here. And it's kind of weird because I'm totally ambivalent about the Avatar like movie I, franchise. I don't like them. They're oh, mediocre. Are th <laughs> is there more than one movie? There's going to be. Disney bought them. Yeah. A bunch of stuff. They're like filming them all at once and then releasing. I don't know. It's stupid. Um. But, like, they're not that great. Yeah. It was Pocahontas, but with blue people. Yep. <laughs> I think I've seen the actual movie. Like, I don't even know that I've seen all of it. I think I've, I've seen half of it. I don't know. I just, I don't care about it that much. And yet, this is still my favorite land. It's um, amazing. It's everything about this place is just done right. I am obsessed with the aesthetics of it the rides the food um i know that we talk okay. a lot here about like ip in the parks but i really think that like the conservation themes and like the living with nature themes of avatar fit in so well to animal kingdom yes. and like the wildness of this area fits in so well to animal kingdom like it just it totally blends it's completely yes. seamless um, like, I love how, like, when you first walk in and there's, like, the bathrooms and the bathrooms are, like, detailed to be, like, this, like, abandoned maintenance unit that's been overtaken mm -hmm. by nature. Like, it's so cool. Um, 
Set a generation after the events of the Avatar films, the area is based on the fictional moon Pandora and features Pandora's floating mountains, alien wildlife, and bioluminescent plants. If you're going to Animal Kingdom, absolutely experience Pandora at night. Um, if they yes. ever bring it back, it is 100% worth it to do the after-hours party in Animal Kingdom because then you can come into Animal Kingdom and you can basically loop all of the rides in Pandora. Um, we have gone on like Navi river journey and just like the cast members have basically just like waved us through. Like we got off and they're like, do you just want to get back on again? And we are like, yeah. And they're like, get on that boat. Like we pretty much just like, we got off the boat and they're like, just get back in the boat. I want to go, go make Gaga eyes at the shaman again. Yeah. Yeah. Just like go like say hi to my girlfriend again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other great thing about the after hours party is that you can, ride flight of passage mm -hmm. like you can walk like i have ridden like flight of passage through this party probably 10 to 15 times uh it is my favorite ride in all of walt disney world i if i ever get a chance to like rank my own rides like this will be at the top i will talk about this for like 30 minutes about <laughs> the reasons that i love this ride it is so so good i think uh one of my like most interesting little tidbits about Pandora is that unlike other themed lands and attractions in the Disney parks, Disney omitted traditional theme park attributes through Pandora. So kind of just like, just like in galaxy's edge, um, there's no attraction marquees, Disney branded merchandise, and there's no Mickey mouse symbol on the fast pass scanners, which like, I didn't oh, even like, when I, I read that, not have noticed that. Yeah. I like, didn't even think about this. And then I read it. And I was like, huh. And I think that's really interesting that, like, there's no, just like in Galaxy's Edge, like, there's no Disney branding anywhere. And, like, it's not even something you think about because, again, it's so seamless. But, like, you go in and there's no sign saying, here's Flight of Passage, here's right. Navi River Journey. And it's the same thing. Like, yeah. And, like, they just set it up so you know where to go, you know? Um, cast members play Ace Field Agents, Ace being Alpha Centauri Expeditions, a fictional eco-tourism country, or company. What were you going to say? The force perspective and the, however they manage to do it on the floating islands off in the distance is one of the most amazing pieces of architectural yes. work that I think Disney has ever done in their parks. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's so realistic. I don't know how they achieved it. But the it's so well done. It's so cool. Like, and just like, again, like the bioluminescence at night is just amazing. Like, as I said, like, as a photographer, like, you know, you've got to, you got to kind of kind of commit, spend like a couple hours yep. here to get like some good <laughs> shots. And it's like, it can still be a little frustrating, but it's, so, I just, I love being here. I, it's just, there's not a lot to say about this land other than, Everything about it is great. Like, the entertainment is so good. The rides are perfect. Um, the canteen restaurant is, like, my favorite place to eat in Animal Kingdom. Um, where, it's like, the make-your-own, like, bowls. Like, it's just, I love it here. This is an amazing land. And... Slushy boba teas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great place to be. And I miss it a lot. You get they did an amazing job capturing the feeling of stepping onto an alien planet. You feel like you are somewhere else. Yeah, and 
I think that the only reason that I rate this higher than Galaxy's Edge is because I I love this land so much. And like I said, I feel nothing for the movies. Whereas like with Galaxy's Edge, like they got a leg up. Like I yeah. <laughs> I love Star Wars. Like I have been a Star Wars fan since I was a baby. And yeah. <laughs> like I think it's it really says something about how special Pandora is that like you know, I've never like, ranked that a yeah, little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. They, it's so cool. They use real plants and everything, but they don't feel like they belong on Earth. I yeah. don't know how they did it. I really don't. It's insane. And they have wildlife noises playing all around you mm-hmm. that don't sound like what you're used to. Everything is down to the last detail. Yeah. And like I said in the first episode, that's my favorite aspect of the Disney parks is the minutia. The tiny yeah. little things that transport you and make you feel magical. And this land has so much of that. And like one of like the funny things, like when we talk about minutia, so this land, like basically it backs onto the parking lot of Animal Kingdom. So when it's overcast, there's a lot of like light pollution, but it makes everything feel really eerie and otherworldly. So even the light pollution adds <laughs> to the story. It. Yeah, it works for it. Like it's so cool. Like it's really, really neat. So, All right. Check it out. Good choice. My number one Haunted Mansion, Walt Disney of World course. Florida, and Disneyland California. The disembodied voice of the ghost host is your private guide through the cadaverous realm of an eerie haunted estate, home to ghosts, ghouls, and supernatural surprises. Glide past a casket-filled conservatory, Madame Leota's chilling seance room, and a ghostly graveyard of singing specters as you attempt to find your way out. Beware of hitchhikers. These phantom pranksters may follow you home. Happy haunting! So, yeah, in a move that will surprise literally no that no one that knows me, and even to all of you listening since Mint and I introduce ourselves as your ghost hosts, uh, I have chosen number as my number one, the Haunted Mansion. So hop in your doom buggy and get ready for the longest entry on my entire list. <laughs> Apologies, because this will be a little bit scatterbrained. I kept adding in pieces randomly and trying to make them fit as I did more research, but it's kind of all over the place. The Haunted Mansion debuted in 1969, and while it was not an opening day attraction for Disneyland, it is a definitive Disney park staple. If they ever removed it from the park, people would riot. I would riot. It's iconic. There's no indication that they ever would, but I'm saying if they did, people would be livid. It was uh, one of the first attractions ever planned by Walt Disney and the first Imagineers, even though it took them a little while to make and implement. Uh, It was envisioned back before they even were planning Disneyland and were just planning a small park across the street from the studios. So before Disneyland existed as a concept, the Haunted Mansion existed as a concept. Wow. Yeah. Some of the coolest, creepiest stories and ideas planned for the mansion were sadly never implemented. Uh, There was a ghostly sea captain who killed his bride and hanged himself who was supposed to be in there there was a whole ghostly wedding party that included some disney villains there was a whole host of weird items collected for the mansion before it was built and they were actually going to make a restaurant and a walkthrough ride called museum of the weird 
and the restaurant would be alongside the mansion, similar to how the Blue Bayou is in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland. And now that I know this, I'm angry that I don't get to spend all of my dollars there because I would, so Disney rectify this. There was a debate whether the ride should be scary or enjoyable, which I feel like is a pretty well-known Disney history fact. So they did both. (laughs) It starts off scary, and then it goes happy. But for me, the entire thing is happy, because I love spooky. (laughs) One of my favorite stories I learned while researching the Haunted Mansion was that while planning and building the animatronics for the Imagineers, or for the ride, Imagineers Crump and Gracie were given an entire warehouse to themselves to work in. One evening, they forgot to switch off the animatronics. The cleaning crew arrived to find everything moving and called the designers to tell them and ask them to fix it for next time. Like, don't let them do that again. The Imagineers saw an opportunity, though, and Crump tells the story of what happened next. We got a call from personnel saying that the janitors requested that we either turn off the animatronics or we leave the lights on in there due to the creepiness of all of the audio animatronic ghosts and such. We complied but put motion sensors in the room that would extinguish all of the lights and turn on the ghost effect when triggered. The next morning we came in and found all of the ghost effects still running and a broom lying in the center of the floor. Oh my God. Personnel called and said that those janitors would not be back. So they rigged up the animatronics to scare the shit out of the janitors and scared them so bad they left and quit. This (laughs) is... My favorite Disney story. Isn't that fantastic? I, I absolutely I love that. I can't believe I've never heard this before. This is amazing. I know. <laughs> they were like, oh, wow. you were scared by the animation. You were scared by them just being left on? Get a load of this. We're going to make oh all the lights turn off and all of the things turn on. Um, there's so much legend around the Haunted Mansion that off-t- Offhand Disney, who I have mentioned so many times because I love his YouTube, started an entire podcast just to talk about this one ride. It's called Foolish Mortals, and it's phenomenal, and you should listen to it. Uh, but here are a few of the legends I found in my research. There's the story of the bullet hole in the glass for the Pepper's Ghost illusion above the ballroom scene in Walt Disney World. Uh, the legend of Madame Leota's ring. The ghosts that apparently haunted the mansion before it opened and scared the Imagineers and construction workers building it, which uh, supposedly delayed it. Uh, The tales of Walt tracking down and inviting ghosts to stay at the mansion. The stories that Madame Leota's spellbook is a true 14th century relic that is often found moved off of its pedestal or like on the floor or pages turned. This is these are all rumors and legends and stuff. I I will get into a few of them a whole episode on this right for halloween right 100 percent. yes okay good yes (laughs) the rumors of deaths that delayed the rides opening the conspiracy theory that the bus the uh the singing bus are constance's murdered husbands and we'll get into constance the disappearance and reappearance of the hat box ghost which is a whole disney history thing that diehard fans definitely know the real hearse outside the disneyland version that supposedly carried brigham young who was apparently the second president of the Mormons and died from a ruptured appendix, if you were wondering, and didn't know who the fuck he was like I did. I I, I had no idea who that... I had to Google it, oh. and I was like, okay, cool. I had no Why idea. Why do they was. have his hearse? That's a rumor. It's not confirmed. Oh, so okay. It started because the hearse that's outside of the Disneyland version came from Salt Lake City. Oh. So the, the rumor is that it's the hearse that carried 
Brigham Young, who I guess back in yeah. those days was well known, but knew yeah, whatever. Um, and the rumor that Disney actor Bobby Driscoll's bones were inside of the hearse outside the Disney World entrance. Probably mm. one of the most well known, but sadly true legends. This happens is that people have scattered the ashes of their loved ones while riding the doom buggies. Technically illegal, I can't really blame them because that's where I want my ashes to go if I don't become a tree. (laughs) Because of this, cast members have mentioned seeing the ghost of a little boy who sometimes rides the doom buggies as they're closing down. Uh, Since I mentioned the Pepper's ghost illusion and that legend, and speaking of legends that are, this is apparently true, Uh, It's hard to track down whether or not it's true, but it seems to be confirmed by the addition of a spider. But through the glass, mirrors, lights, and science magic, real animatronics are made to look like see-through ghostly apparitions. Seriously, when you Google this phenomenon, this ride is the first one of the first things listed as an example because it's so gigantic and such a well-done use of the Pepper's Ghost Illusion. The glass for the pan the glass panel needed for the ballroom scene is so large it had to be installed by a crane before the roof was added and that's why the bullet hole remains apparently the story is that someone brought a gun onto this ride clearly back in the day before people like there were metal detectors and stuff yeah and shot at the two shooting portraits in this scene and shot a hole in the glass used for the illusion but removing and replacing the glass would involve major d and reconstruction so they covered it with a spider and spider web instead so that the cracks would look like part of the spider web but evidently you can still see the hole if you know where to look and look carefully enough like i said i am looking for this next time we go it's hard to so it's it's apparently near the shooting portraits near a fireplace and if you look, there's a spider and it's supposedly covering. Again, hard to track down if this is true, but they yeah. did randomly add a spider into this. So that's right. why people are like, yeah, it's real. I don't know. It's hard to track down. But there is huh. so, so much to adore about this ride. It's fun, creepy, and for me, comforting and macabre. The scary parts are perfectly done and actually partially inspired by a visit Walt took to the Winchester Mansion, which if you don't know about the Winchester Mansion, look it up. I want to go there so bad, which makes me love this ride even more. The queue in Disney World is particularly fun, as you can read all of the tombstones and look for puns and Imagineer odes and watch as Madame Liotto's tombstone follows you and yes. and moves periodically and it's random so it's like you might catch it you might not it's so cool uh while I was pre uh oh and apparently there's even a murder mystery hidden amongst the tombstones which I was unaware of and now I can't wait to go back and look for uh it makes the paltry 30 minute average wait time seem like it's almost not enough because there's only 30 minutes and at the walt disney world one they've added actually some really fun interactive stuff that you can do so it's really neat and like the tower of terror the cast members at the Haunted mansion go all out they are always in character and really go out of their way to make it immersive and go above and beyond to bring the spooks yes so whoever is ushering you amazing into, yes the person ushering you into the stretching room will always be one of the best cast members you ever meet. They're so great. And their uniforms are fabulous, and I want one. So Disney, rectify this too. Let me buy a Haunted Mansion uniform. I want one. So bad. Um, And speaking of the cast members, so the legend of Madame Leota's ring was actually just a 
chain link that got encased in the concrete and then it kind of chipped off but so many people noticed it and started talking about it that the cast members made up a legend about it being Madame Leota's engagement ring and you could ask almost any cast member and they would tell you the version of the story that they had heard and mm-hmm. it was all made up by the cast members which I just think is so cool because they loved the ride so much and so many people were asking about this that they were like yeah, let's give them a story. So they did. They are just, oh, I love the cast members so much. Um, The elevator ride down into the loading area, which is what the pre-show stretching chamber in, is so perfectly done. The slow reveal of the bottoms of the stretching portraits is so happily like humorous and unsettling. And that clap of thunder and flash of lightning as the lights go out and reveal the only way out of the chamber, bone-chillingly fun. As a yes. kid, this genuinely terrified me but also as a kid i was weird and i loved getting the shit scared out of me so this was love at first haunt i love this ride i love it the ride starts out so spooky giving you a tour of the mansion and it's 999 happy haunts providing some genuine frights before heading out to the graveyard where you get to hear the classic grim grinning ghosts which is one of the best songs disney's ever written just like the haunted mansion itself the theme song is the perfect blend of creepy and fun Overall, it's just well-planned, well-designed, well-executed, and an overall amazing ride steeped in lore, legends, and cobwebs. And speaking of lore, the lore of the characters is too much to get into in the time I have right now, but I'll touch on it a little, because we could devote an entire episode to the Haunted Mansion characters. And like I said, Offhand Disney has dedicated an entire podcast just to this ride. Um, And unbeknownst to me before starting my research, is how Disney has linked characters from the Haunted Mansion to other rides and Disney Park stories, huh. which I'll get to. But so the first character is the ghost host himself, voiced by Paul Fries, who I also learned voiced the fucking Pillsbury Doughboy. So, OK, deep, deep ghost host man is also <laughs> Pillsbury Doughboy. What the fuck? <laughs> So it's implied the corpse hanging above you as the lightning flashes in the stretching room is his, which would indicate he died by suicide. In the movie, he's given the name Master Gracie, which is an ode to one of the original Imagineers. I talked about them, Crump and Gracie, the ones who (laughs) rigged up the motion sensors. And so clearly they needed some nods to them because they were phenomenal. Uh, There's Madame Leota, who leads your seance, calling the ghosts to appear and whose gravestone appears in the graveyard in the queue. Constance Hatchaway, my favorite, or second favorite, actually, second favorite. (laughs) We'll get to my first favorite, is the bride in the attic. And she actually appears twice in the ride, once in the attic and once in the stretching portraits, sitting on the tombstone of poor beloved George, a.k.a. George Hightower. AKA the owner of the Hyde Tower Hotel, AKA the Tower of Terror. So Constance Hatchaway, the bride in the attic, murdered the owner of the Hyde Tower Hotel, which, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Wow. Another of her ill fated husbands, though this isn't completely confirmed, is the Hatbox Ghost, which makes sense considering his head is in a hatbox. She chopped it off. Yep. <laughs> the Hatbox Ghost himself is the stuff of Disney, Disney legends. He appeared briefly at the ride's opening before being removed because his mechanism didn't function properly, but he made such an impact that Disney fans clamored for his return. Like everybody wanted the Hatbox Ghost, which uh-huh. finally happened 60 years later. He was put back in with working illusions for the 60th anniversary of the ride. 
huh. the singing busts, who all have names. Rollo Rumpkin, who lived and died a friendly bumpkin, according to his tombstone, was originally located in the which was originally located in the family plot outside of the Disneyland version. His name's a tri- tribute to Imagineer Raleigh Crump. Uncle Theodore, who's the lead singer, whose head is broken off, he was played by Thurl's Ravencroft, who also sang You're a Mean, mean One, Mr. Grinch, and voiced Tony the Tiger. People huh. often think this bust is Walt Disney, but it's not. Cousin Algernon, who's wearing a derby hat, and that's the only fact we have about him. Ned Nub, the only bust without a necktie. And finally, Phineas P. Pock, relative of the poet Prudence Pock. Or Prudence Pock. Oh my gosh, this is so tongue twistery. Um, a tombstone with the name Phineas Pock was in the original family plot at Disneyland's version. In the Haunted Mansion video game, the singing busts were voiced by the Dapper Dans, who sing on Main Street. Uh, also, there's. A haunted mansion video game so clearly we're playing this on our twitch yes yes yeah uh tombstones reflecting all of the names for the singing busts were added outside of disney world in 2011 uh in hercules there's actually a reference to the haunted mansion singing busts when the re- the muses appear as busts styled in the same way so like the muses appear singing mm. like the busts in the graveyard which i thought was pretty cool uh there's the hitchhiking ghosts the prisoner, the skeleton, and the traveler, they're often thought of as like the mascots for the ride because they appear on so much merch and posters and things like that. They're said to have claimed you as the 1,000th haunt for the mansion and will stay with you until you return. As you're leaving the ride, your doom buggy turns to show you one of the characters traveling with you in your car. By fans and kind of by the Imagineers, they've accepted this. They've unofficially been given the names Gus, who is the prisoner, Ezra, who's the skeleton, and Phineas, who's the traveler. Uh, hmm. This is just from, oh, no, it's not from fans. It's from cast members who made up and passed on names and backstories for the ghosts. And it kind of just stuck. The Imagineers include that, like, kind of accept this as their name. Uh, in 2011, tombstones with the names Gus and Ezra were added. As one, as well as one with Phineas, but like I said, that's for the singing bust, but it was already there. So they, I think they were like, okay, we covered both bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to an in- interview with Imagineer Jason Searle in 2006, like I said, the names are not official, but now the Imagineers just kind of say, yeah, that's what they are. Yeah. Uh, and finally, two random facts that I learned while researching. I learned about the Host-A-Ghost jars that Disney started selling in 2019, and now my life's goal is to own one for my absolute favorite character from the entire ride, Sarah Sally Slater, the tightrope walker. I love her so much. I own mini ear, the mini ears that are themed for her, yes. and they're so gorgeous. That's, uh, also, that's your Disney girlfriend. Yes, that's my Disney girlfriend, 100%. <laughs> of course it's one of the creepiest people in the parks. Why wouldn't it be? It, yeah, it makes me. sense. <laughs> um, there's, so yeah, and there's a 2003 Haunted Mansion video game that I can only assume came out for the movie that they made because they came out the same year. Yeah. Uh, but clearly we need to play that on our Twitch. Yeah. Obviously. So yeah, to sum up the longest section in all three episodes of this podcast, at least judging by the number of pages it took up in comparison to all of my other write-ups, Disney, please accept my death certificate. I want to be the 1000th happy haunt. <laughs> that was such a good write-up. Like I learned so much and I'm like, a stan of Haunted Mansion. I love that ride. How could you not love that ride? It's so good. So good. Yes. And I think we're we're under two hours still. So that's not bad. We still have to do <laughs> Disney Channel yep. original movie or fever dream. 
Yes, which is where Mint tries to trick me up by giving me a synopsis for a movie she invented and a Disney Channel original movie. And I look down as your camera turned off because she won't let me see her face while she does this because she's afraid and 100% correct that seeing her face I'd be able to guess. So Mint, what are our two synopses this week? Hey guys, so what we're going to do for this is actually Mabel knew which one was the real movie. So what we're going to do instead is I'm going to read both of the movies that I have written up and you guys will pick which one you think is the real one and which is the fake and we'll tell you at the end. All right. (laughs) Erin in 1998, My Funny Valentine is a Valentine's Day themed movie about dead kids. Oh, this reminds me. Both of my movies are about dead people and dolls. Great! I'm on board. (laughs) Okay. This movie makes a lot of references to The Shining, which I think was supposed to be funny for adults, but really just makes it eerie for children. (laughs) Third grader Bethany wants nothing more than a son and fun doll, which every other girl in her class has. However, instead of... On her birthday, she is gifted an antique porcelain doll from her grandmother, Edith, played by Doris Day, that belonged to Edith's twin sister, Valentine, who died young. It is implied that the small inn where Edith and Valentine lived as children was always haunted by malevolent spirits, but when Bethany realizes her doll is haunted by the ghost of Valentine, it comes to light that the hauntings were actually Valentine protecting her family from bad situations. For example... Edith was mysteriously knocked into the inn's pool, where she almost drowns until she is saved by her father. However, Valentine reveals that she knocked Edith into the pool to save her from being stung by bees, to which Edith was deadly allergic, and then alerted their father by tapping on the window and letting him know that Edith was drowning. When Bethany reveals how Valentine has been protecting Edith all along, Edith assures her that she doesn't need her protection anymore, and Valentine is able to rest. All in all, this is a really bizarre like way to take a Valentine's Day movie. And it's just, it's super strange and morbid, and I don't understand it. But it's got this, Doris Day in it. This has, have you ever seen the, the Watcher in the Woods, which is actually a Disney movie that they pretend doesn't exist? This has no. major Watcher in the, oh my god, we gotta watch it. <laughs> we gotta watch it. It's so terrifying. Uh, but it has major Watcher in the Woods vibes. Huh. I think that's what it's called. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Are you ready for number two? Yes. Okay. Life Size aired in 2000 and stars Lindsay Lohan and Tyra Banks. Apparently, such an A-list cast meant that this movie actually got a brief DVD release. Lohan plays a young girl with a dead mom who casually finds a book that can bring bring people back from the dead. She instead brings back to life her Eve doll, played by Tyra Banks. They both learn lessons. Tyra learns how to become human, and Lohan learns how to deal with her grief. But Tyra, like all of us, hates the human world, so chooses to go back to being a doll with a second spell. Why are these spell books so easily obtainable in a world pre-Amazon two-day shipping? Weirdly, the final scene of the movie is the cast dancing to Tyra's doll's theme song, and Tyra is still singing it in human form, even though minutes before we saw her return to her <laughs> doll form, supposedly forever, make it make sense, Disney. They can't. Yeah. So, obviously, like I said, Mabel uh, had seen the real one, so take a second, 
guess which one you think which one is real and which one is fake, and then we'll reveal. And the fake is My Funny Valentine, and Life Size was a real and very, very strange movie. I am so disappointed that My Funny Valentine isn't real, and so impressed that you made that up. I want to <laughs> watch that movie. And I was like, please let this be the real one. Before I heard the second one, I was like, oh, damn it. Because I was literally going to watch that with my mother this weekend because Doris Day is her favorite actress. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I really want to see my funny Valentine. Can we make this movie? Let's make it. Okay. Resurrect yes. Doris Day. Like, I was like, this sounds like a movie that they would have made. Like, yes. it's got, yeah. That, yeah. I feel like you're getting better at predicting my write-ups, though. Although you uh, you did actually no. see Life Size, though. Yeah, if I hadn't seen Life Size, I would have picked My Funny Valentine. That would have been what I picked. Life Size sounds so fake. It's ridiculous. That's, that is a movie that, like, we need to watch. Mm-hmm. So I can't... I think I watched this. I was, like, when I was writing this up, like, it comes out in 2000. And I know you got the Disney Channel, like, 1999. And so yeah. I was like, I feel like she's seen this, but it's yeah, that one I have. Yeah, but I, I was know, like, you have to talk about it. Yeah, like if you hadn't, like, there's no way you would guess it was a real movie. No, no, because yeah, like you said, the end sequence alone—it's ridiculous. Yeah. <sighs> well, thank you for making me nostalgic for a movie I'll never get to watch because it's not real. <laughs> so that's our episode for the week don't forget to follow us we will have additional info and some pictures and links and resources on our blog disney adults pod on tumblr and we are disney adults pod on tumblr twitter youtube twitch instagram everything follow us interact we'd love to hear from you and if you have any questions or comments you can email us at disney adults podcast at gmail.com thank you so much Love and pixie dust from Mint and Mabel.